Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the Holy Gospel, particularly these words from Matthew 15. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. The Summer Olympics in Beijing, China. Many of us have been watching them during this past week, and undoubtedly many, perhaps most of us, would be watching them in the week to come. Fascinating competition of the world's finest athletes with each country eagerly cheering on its own, world records being set all over the place, especially in the field of swimming. And who can help but be awestruck by the Phelps phenomena? Michael Phelps and all of the medals that he's winning. The U.S. swimmer who now holds more Olympic gold from any one Olympiad than any other Olympian in the modern era of Olympics. Also exciting. It's also entertaining once every four years. And some would say there's been all too much misrepresenting of reality in these particular Olympics as well. Cases in point. Example one. Chinese officials admit that because they weren't able to clean up the air over Beijing in time, computerized fireworks, including a fake shake to simulate a helicopter flying in the air, is what we really saw on television in the opening ceremonies. Example two. Minutes before the ceremony, directors replaced the seven-year-old singer whose teeth were quite crooked with a prettier little girl who had beautiful straight and white teeth and proceeded to limp-sync then the song that had been sung by the seven-year-old girl with the crooked teeth. Example three, those phenomenal footwork fireworks, the footprint fireworks that some of you may have seen during the opening ceremony that led the world from the the south end of the city to the north end of the city where the Olympic Stadium called the Bird's Nest is located, computer generated because these shots could not be seen due to the city smog. And of course there's the dog issue. Dog meat ordered off local menus by Beijing Food Safety Office not because of health concerns but rather because of sensitivities that Westerners might have. Speaking of dogs and misrepresentation brings us right to our text for today. The dog connection you get because of the woman's response to our Lord's words, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We'll talk more of that in a few moments. But where's the misrepresentation that takes place in our text for today? Who is it in our text for today who is misrepresenting themselves? Well, take a look first of all at what happened. This Matthew lays out the events before us. It's interesting to see that he says that Jesus determines to withdraw to the district of Tyre and Sidon. It's an area along the Mediterranean coast about 40 miles away from the Lake of Galilee where you remember last week we heard about Jesus walking on water to his disciples about 40 miles away from that. He withdraws to this area, St. Matthew says, and the verb withdraw in the Greek is an interesting verb. It means to retire. It implies to get some rest. You're not just going there to do something else. You're going to a certain area. You're withdrawing 
from the crowds that were there gathered around him to get some rest because in that prior week, you'll recall, it had been a physically and a mentally draining time for him. Now granted, as true God, he had walked on water. He had healed, St. Matthew tells us, all of the sick that were brought to him. They touched the hems of his garments, and all of them were healed. And yet, even though it was indeed God in the flesh among us who was doing these things, remember that he also is indeed true man. The divine and the human natures of our Lord Jesus Christ, inseparably, irreversibly linked together in one person, so that the fully divine and the fully human person, our Lord Jesus Christ, is able on the one hand to perform these miracles that even defy the laws of nature, and yet on the other hand, he has this very real human need to anakarea, in the Greek, to withdraw, to retire for a time in order to rest. But before he can even do that, St. Matthew tells us he has to engage a group of Pharisees and scribes who would come all the way up there to that area in order to engage him in a debate coming all the way from Jerusalem over a hundred miles away and they debate him interestingly about the nature of man and about sin and they're insisting that what defiles a man is that which comes into a man from the outside that which he might eat or whatever it might be and Jesus turns it around and he says no you've got it all wrong that which defiles a man is that which comes out from him for out of the heart perceives these very things and he has to engage this debate with these scribes and these Pharisees and then finally having done so he he says all right enough and again he withdraws Jesus went away from there as we see in our text for today Jesus went away from there and he withdrew he retired to the district of Tyre and Sidon where maybe among the unbelieving Gentiles he won't be bothered. He might there get some rest after all. What would the Canaanites, that's what they were in this area, the Syrophoenicians they were called, what would they possibly want with, with Jesus of Nazareth? Their religion was antagonistic toward him. They were antagonistic pagan practices in which they engaged as they worshipped the goddess Ashtoreth, for example. What would they want with a Jew like Jesus? And what would Jesus want with them? Well, Jesus knew what he wanted with them. He knew that they needed him desperately. And so despite the fact that he's withdrawing, he goes to the very people who would so much need him. And lo and behold, what happens? St. Matthew says, a Canaanite woman from that region comes out. And she's crying after Jesus, no rest for him, no place to pillow his head, even as he had earlier said, not even there among the Canaanites. And here too, in this woman, is the misrepresentation that I spoke about earlier. You see, it's the woman in our text, interestingly, who misrepresents herself. Now think on it. How was it that she misrepresented herself? She tries to pass herself off as some pious Israelite, some pious Jewish mother who was emotionally horrified and crushed by the demonic possession of her daughter. 
How do we know that, you ask? Well, what does the, St. Matthew say? He says that she cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is demonically possessed. Note well the title that she uses. She calls him the son of David. That's a distinctly Israelite title. It's a term for the Messiah that would be used by the Jews, certainly not by the Canaanites. A distinctly Israelite term for the Messiah who was to come. It's not what a Canaanite would say. But so desperate is she for help that she's ready to pass herself off as something else if she must. Desperation does that, doesn't it? Desperation will cause people to do about most anything in order to get the help that they determine that they need. Think about it. Things get desperate enough. Let our health or let the health of someone who we love dearly get bad enough. Let the situations which our sins plunge us into in life make things dire enough for us. And how many people will so often do almost anything and try about anything that gives any hint at all that it would be able to be of some help to them. I'll plug my nickel and my dime's worth of pious phrases, for example, into whatever vending machine I have to, if out of that vending machine will come the help that I need. But that's not faith. That's fear-motivated attempts at manipulation. That's fear-motivated fraud. And fraud with God won't work. Doesn't work today. Didn't work for the Syrophoenician woman who tried to pass herself off for what she wasn't. What does our text say indeed that Jesus said when she cried out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David? Remember what he said? Matthew says, Jesus did not answer her a single word. Not a word. Stony, cold silence. Jesus says nothing. You see, our Lord will not be manipulated into giving his blessings. It's not simply a matter of saying the right words, as she initially thought it was, and contrary to what is so often said regarding the woman's persistence, it's not a matter of being so obnoxiously persistent that we wear God out as though he'll do whatever we want him to do if only we wear him out enough. Any such manipulative attitude, any such irreverent approach will receive no more than the Syrophoenician woman received in her answer from the Lord. Absolute silence. And yet ironically, ironically, in that very silence that she got, she also got what she asked for when she cried incessantly, Lord, have mercy upon me. For you see, as someone has said, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And that's exactly what she got. God did not give her what she deserved because she deserved, indeed, what her daughter had. She deserved to be as demonically possessed as her daughter. But in his mercy, God did not give her what she deserved. Instead, he was silent. So you see, our Lord will not be moved by either our misrepresentations or attempted manipulations of him. To them, he remains silent, being merciful, doing nothing lest we get what we really deserve. But if, as has been said, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, then grace is God giving us 
what we don't deserve. And that's what Jesus goes on to give this Syrophoenician woman. It's exactly what happens in our text for today. We see the grace of God. We see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ reaching out to this woman, enveloping her, taking her unto himself. We see grace in its graceful operation, a grace which, as it did for, and as it will for little Mark Howe de Vries this morning to the second service in his baptism, a grace that reaches out and takes that which is not deserving of anything that he's about to give. But that's what grace is, and that's what grace does, and that's what grace did here. Grace creating a faith relationship with someone in Jesus Christ, a faith relationship that trusts him so implicitly that it's perfectly content with whatever crumbs might fall from the master's table. It makes not demands, but is content instead with anything that falls from the master's table. That's what faith is. A relationship which, like a dog under its master's table, lays no claim to that which is upon the table as though it has somehow merited or deserved it. Or like a little child that is fed when it's hungry, it knows nothing but its hunger and is fed simply because it's loved. A relationship begun and sustained simply by that, that mercy of God that doesn't give it what it deserves and that wonderful grace of God which gives us all what we don't deserve and could never in a million years have merited. What mercy. What mercy God has upon us, remembering not the sins of our youth, remembering not yesterday's transgressions, the psalmist says, but rather remembering us how, according to his abundant mercies, his tender mercies, which are nowhere more evident than they were upon the cross of Calvary, where rather than giving us what we truly deserved, we instead are freely given what belonged to him, what belonged indeed to Christ. We give the only begotten Son of God what we deserved, and he suffers for us the deepest depths of death. He suffers for us the remotest regions of our deserved hell, that by his grace we might receive what we don't deserve, all that belongs to him. In this world, but most certainly also in that which is yet to come. And that's why St. Paul writes, God, and notice how he uses the term mercy and grace in the, in the verse here. St. Paul says, God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised up with him, and he has seated us with him in heavenly places in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Thus St. Paul. God's mercy, so immense, said the fourth century church father John Chrysostom. His mercy so immense, he says, that, that man can neither fathom its depth nor scale its height. When the whole world, Chrysostom said, was submerged in sin, God arose and he conquered the powers of darkness so that even the most vile of men could not doubt his salvation. Are you corrupt, he says? Well then, look to the publican sinner. What happened to him? Jesus sent him home justified. 
Are you impure? He says. But then look at the adulteress to whom Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. Are you a murderer or a thief? He says. Well, then look at the penitent malefactor on the cross that was beside the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, today you shall be with me in paradise. Have you ever set yourself against Christ? Chrysostom asks. Well, then take a good look at St. Paul, he says. First a persecutor of the church, then a preacher of the gospel. First a deceiver, and then a steward of the very mysteries of God. First a wolf, and then a shepherd of the flock. First a destroyer of the Lord's vineyard, then a guardian thereof. At first, he says, you look into the abyss of man's depravity. And then in each case, you look into the sea of God's infinite mercy. O Lord, thou son of David, have mercy upon us. And he does. Upon each and every one of us, he indeed does. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, because he does, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of his grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. And that's what the woman in today's text did. She drew near with confidence in Christ, in his mercy, and in his grace. Not because she deserved it, not because she might be able to misrepresent herself or manipulate him, but she drew near to him, trusting in his mercy and his grace. And in that very hour, Scripture says, her daughter was completely healed. Some time ago, I read of a young man who sat beside the hospital bed of his wife. It was nearing the time when they were going to be holding in their arms for the first time a newborn child. They bask in that glow of announcement, it's a little boy. Later, however, they begin a desperate search for a specialist who could help their newborn son. But to no avail, because little Ronnie was mentally impaired and his parents were devastated. But the entrance of this young father and mother into the school of suffering taught them many valuable things. Recalling that first grief-fraught summer after the child was born, the father, Ronald Meredith, said, Grief has taught us lessons that joy could never know. Unlike the woman in our text, Ronald Meredith didn't see his son healed. At least he has not seen him healed yet, but by faith he knows that in time his prayer will be answered, his son will someday be whole, though that day may be in the distant future, when on that day God's plans for his son will be perfected and he will look at his little son Ronnie and he'll say to him, as he had so often before, Hi, son, and little Ronnie will for the first time respond, Hi, dad. We'll need a lot of talking time then, Meredith says there in heaven, because Ronnie has never been able to speak a word here on earth time for talking, there in heaven they will indeed have. It may seem at times that God hasn't heard our prayers. It may seem at times that God doesn't care, even as I'm sure it must have for this Syrophoenician woman at first in our text for today. Her first cries for mercy being met with, with nothing but silence. 
But have we not also seen from this account for today that silence is only a brief delay and God's delay is not denial. Delay instead is often that precious time during which the Lord repairs us and prepares us and schools us to be grateful recipients of the gifts of his grace which he is about to lavishly lay upon us. The sin within us complains about such delays, but within us also by God's grace, there's also that, that faith. That faith that keeps on praying because faith knows that it's simply a matter of time. It's simply a matter of time before we're lifted from here where the crumbs fall to there from where they fall. May it be so for you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.